listening to Nightlight. Hi, and welcome to this special devotional edition of Nightlight, which I'm going to be sharing with you a selection of readings from Charles Spurgeon's classic morning and evening daily devotionals. Charles Spurgeon was one of the most popular English preachers of the 19th century, and his writings, which include thousands of sermons and devotionals, are still popular with Christians the world over today. Well, I've selected a number of devotionals from the month of August to read you on Nightlight today, each accompanied by a complimentary song. So relax and enjoy the next one hour, and I pray that Spurgeon's simple, poetic, and deeply spiritual lessons will speak to you in a very special way. But to get us into a devotional mood, let's start with this classic hymn from Christy Gibson. I need thee every hour, most gracious Lord. No tender voice like thine can peace afford. I need thee, oh, I need thee. I need 
Thou crownest the year with thy goodness. Psalm 65 verse 11 All the year round, every hour of every day, God is richly blessing us. Both when we sleep and when we wake, His mercy waits upon us. The sun may leave us a legacy of darkness, but our God never ceases to shine upon His children with beams of love. Like a river, His loving kindness is always flowing with a fullness inexhaustible as His own nature. Like the atmosphere which constantly surrounds the earth and is always ready to support the life of man, the benevolence of God surrounds all His creatures. In it, as in their element, they live and move and have their being. Yet, as the sun on summer days gladdens us with beams more warm and bright than at other times, and as rivers are at certain seasons swollen by the rain, and as the atmosphere itself is sometimes fraught with more fresh, more bracing, or more balmy influences than heretofore, so it is with the mercy of God. It hath its golden hours, its days of overflow, when the Lord magnifieth his grace before the sons of men. Amongst the blessings of the nether springs, the joyous days of harvest are a special season of excessive favor. It is the glory of autumn that the ripe gifts of providence are then abundantly bestowed. It is the mellow season of realization, whereas all before was but hope and expectation. Great is the joy of harvest. Happy are the reapers who fill their arms with the liberality of heaven. The psalmist tells us that the harvest is the crowning of the year. Surely these crowning mercies call for crowning thanksgiving. Let us render it by the inward emotions of gratitude. Let our hearts be warmed. Let our spirits remember, meditate, and think upon this goodness of the Lord. Then let us praise Him with our lips and laud and magnify His name from whose bounty all this goodness flows. Let us glorify God by yielding our gifts to His cause. A practical proof of our gratitude is a special thank offering to the Lord of the harvest.
the curtain To place the moon stars as jewels upon your bride The sea becomes as glass Such beauty unsurpassed Never heard by ear, seen by chapter 21 verse 23 quietly contemplate the lamb as the light of heaven light in scripture is the emblem of joy the joy of the saints in heaven is comprised in this jesus chose us loved us bought us cleansed us robed us kept us glorified us we are here entirely through the lord jesus each one of these thoughts shall be to them like a cluster of the grapes of Eshkol. Light is also the cause of beauty. Naught of beauty is left when light is gone. Without light, no radiance flashes from the sapphire, no peaceful ray proceedeth from the pearl. And thus all the beauty of the saints above comes from Jesus. As planets, they reflect the light of the Sun of Righteousness. They live as beams proceeding from the central orb. If he withdrew, they must die. If his glory were veiled, their glory must expire. Light is also the emblem of knowledge. In heaven, our knowledge will be perfect, but the Lord Jesus himself will be the fountain of it. Dark providences, never understood before, will then be clearly seen, and all that puzzles us now will become plain to us in the light of the Lamb. Oh, what unfoldings there will be, and what glorifying of the God of love! Light also means manifestation. Light manifests. In this world it doth not yet appear what we shall be. God's people are a hidden people, but when Christ receives his people into heaven, he will touch them with the wand of his own love and change them into the image of his manifested glory. They were poor and wretched, but what a transformation! They were stained with sin, but one touch of his finger and they are bright as the sun and clear as crystal. Oh, what a manifestation! All this proceeds from the exalted Lamb. Whatever there may be of effulgent splendor, Jesus shall be the center and soul of it all. Oh, to be present 
and to see him in his own light, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords.
Watchman, what of the night? Isaiah chapter 21, verse 11. What enemies are abroad? Errors are a numerous horde, and new ones appear every hour. Against what heresy am I to be on my guard? Sins creep from their lurking places when the darkness reigns. I must myself mount the watchtower and watch unto prayer. Our heavenly protector foresees all the attacks which are about to be made upon us. And when as yet the evil designed us is but in the desire of Satan, he prays for us that our faith fail not when we are sifted as wheat. Continue, O gracious watchman, to forewarn us of our foes, and for Zion's sake, hold not thy peace. Watchman, what of the night? What weather is coming for the church? Are the clouds lowering? Or is it all clear and fair overhead? We must care for the church of God with anxious love. And now that popery and infidelity are both threatening, let us observe the signs of the times and prepare for conflict. Watchman, what of the night? What stars are visible? What precious promises suit our present case? You sound the alarm. Give us consolation also. Christ the pole star is ever fixed in his place, and all the stars are secure in the right hand of their Lord. But watchman, when comes the morning? The bridegroom tarries. Are there no signs of his coming forth as the sun of righteousness? Has not the morning star arisen as the pledge of day? When will the day dawn and the shadows flee away? O oh, Jesus, if thou come not in person to thy waiting church this day, yet come in spirit to my sighing heart and make it sing for joy. Now all the earth is bright and glad with the fresh morn, but all my heart is cold and dark and sad. Son of the soul, let me behold thy dawn. Come, Jesus, Lord, oh, quickly come, according to thy word. Silence all those lies 
That we've been fed for centuries By the traitor day and night And soon the world will finally wake up And be restored to what it was We'll start again and play it from the top The way it ought when you come Soon the sky will open like a tent You beckon us to come on in And join the greatest wedding party There has ever been no soon Finally make love the way we used to do before The fall of man and soon you'll open up your kingdom's door When you come, when you come And that's David Blossom, a song called Soon. Well, you're listening to a special devotional edition of Nightlight featuring readings from Morning and Evening by Charles Spurgeon. As the name suggests, there's both a morning and evening devotional for every day of the year, making 730 readings in all, if I got my math correct. And I've selected, um, I'm not sure how many are going to get in, maybe eight to share with you on Nightlight today, just to give you a taste of what's one of my favorite daily devotional series. You can listen to all 730 readings if you log on to our daily devotional website at treasures365.com, where you'll find six other classic and modern daily devotionals, as well as my reading of the King James Bible. That web address is www.treasures365.com. Check it out. Inspiring you to draw closer to God. You're listening to Nightlight. The upright love thee. Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 4. Believers love Jesus with a deeper affection than they dare to give to any other being. They would sooner lose father and mother than part with Christ. They hold all earthly comforts with a loose hand, but they carry him fast locked in their bosoms. They voluntarily deny themselves for his sake 
but they're not to be driven to deny Him. It is scant love which the fire of persecution can dry up. The true believer's love is a deeper stream than this. Men have labored to divide the faithful from their master, but their attempts have been fruitless in every age. Neither crowns of honor nor frowns of anger have untied this more than Gordian knot. This is no everyday attachment which the world's power may at length dissolve. Neither man nor devil have found a key which opens this lock. Never has the craft of Satan been more at fault than when he has exercised it in seeking to rend in sunder this union of two divinely welded hearts. It is written, and nothing can blot out the sentence, The upright love thee. The intensity of the love of the upright, however, is not so much to be judged by what it appears as by what the upright long for. It is our daily lament that we cannot love enough. Would that our hearts were capable of holding more and reaching further. Like Samuel Rutherford, we sigh and cry, Oh, for as much love as would go round about the earth and over heaven, yea, the heaven of heavens and ten thousand worlds, that I may let all out upon fair, fair, only fair Christ. Alas, our longest reach is but a span of love, and our affection is but as a drop of a bucket compared with his deserts. Measure our love by our intentions, and it is high indeed. Tis thus we trust our Lord doth judge of it. Oh, that we could give all the love in all hearts in one great mass, a gathering together of all loves to him who is altogether lovely. Blow upon the garden of our love to free the 
This sickness is not unto death, John chapter 11, verse 4. From our Lord's words, we learn that there is a limit to sickness. Here is an unto within which its ultimate end is restrained and beyond which it cannot go. Lazarus might pass through death, but death was not to be the ultimatum of his sickness. In all sickness, the Lord saith to the waves of pain, Hitherto shall ye go but no further. His fixed purpose is not the destruction, but the instruction of his people. Wisdom hangs up the thermometer at the furnace mouth and regulates the heat. 1. The limit is encouragingly comprehensive. The God of Providence has limited the time, manner, intensity, repetition, and effects of all our sicknesses. Each throb is decreed, each sleepless hour predestinated, each relapse ordained, each depression of spirit foreknown, and each sanctifying result eternally purposed. Nothing great or small escapes the ordaining hand of him who numbers the hairs of our head. 2. This limit is wisely adjusted to our strength, to the end designed, and to the grace apportioned. Affliction comes not at haphazard. The weight of every stroke of the rod is accurately measured. He who made no mistakes in balancing the clouds and meeting out the heavens commits no errors in measuring out the ingredients which compose the medicine of souls. 
we cannot suffer too much, nor be relieved too late. 3. The limit is tenderly appointed. The knife of the heavenly surgeon never cuts deeper than is absolutely necessary. He doth not afflict willingly nor grieve the children of men. A mother's heart cries, Spare my child! But no mother is more compassionate than our gracious God. When we consider how hard-mouthed we are, it is a wonder that we are not driven with a sharper bit. The thought is full of consolation, that he who has fixed the bounds of our habitation has also fixed the bounds of our tribulation. Every desperate prayer is heard. 
When I'm listening to Nightlight, Nightlight. you're tuned in to Nightlight. Christ, who is our life. Colossians chapter 3, verse 4. Paul's marvelously rich expression indicates that Christ is the source of our life. You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. That same voice which brought Lazarus out of the tomb raised us to newness of life. He is now the substance of our spiritual life. It is by his life that we live. He is in us, the hope of glory, the spring of our actions, the central thought which moves every other thought. Christ is the sustenance of our life. What can the Christian feed upon but Jesus' flesh and blood? This is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. O oh, way-worn pilgrims in this wilderness of sin, you never get a morsel to satisfy the hunger of your spirits except ye find it in him. Christ is the solace of our life. All our true joys come from Him, and in times of trouble, His presence is our consolation. There is nothing worth living for but Him, and His loving kindness is better than life. Christ is the object of our life. As speeds the ship towards the port, so hastes the believer towards the haven of his Savior's bosom. As flies the arrow to its goal, so flies the Christian towards the perfecting of his fellowship with Christ Jesus. As the soldier fights for his captain and is crowned in his captain's victory, so the believer contends for Christ and gets his triumph out of the triumphs of his master. For him to live is Christ. Christ is the exemplar of our life. Where there is the same life within, there will, there must be, to a great extent, the same developments without. And if we live in near fellowship with the Lord Jesus, we shall grow like him. We shall set him before us as our divine copy, and we shall seek to tread in his footsteps until he shall become the crown of our life in glory. Oh, how safe, how honored, how happy is the Christian, since Christ is our life.
Isaac went out to meditate in the field at the eventide. Genesis chapter 24, verse 63. Very admirable was his occupation. If those who spend so many hours in idle company, light reading and useless pastimes could learn wisdom, they would find more profitable society and more interesting engagements in meditation than in the vanities which now have such charms for them. We should all know more, live nearer to God, and grow in grace if we were more alone. Meditation chews the cud and extracts the real nutriment from the mental food gathered elsewhere. When Jesus is the theme, meditation is sweet indeed. Isaac found Rebecca while engaged in private musings. Many others have found their best beloved there. Very admirable was the choice of place. In the field, we have a study hung around with texts for thought, from the cedar to the hyssop, from the soaring eagle down to the chirping grasshopper, from the blue expanse of heaven to a drop of dew. All things are full of teaching. And when the eye is divinely opened, that teaching flashes upon the mind far more vividly than from written books. Our little rooms are neither so healthy, 
so suggestive, so agreeable, or so inspiring as the fields. Let us count nothing common or unclean, but feel that all created things point to their maker, and the field will at once be hallowed. Very admirable was the season, the season of sunset as it draws a veil over the day, befits that repose of the soul when earth-born cares yield to the joys of heavenly communion. The glory of the setting sun excites our wonder, and the solemnity of approaching night awakens our awe. If the business of this day will permit it, it will be well, dear reader, if you can spare an hour to walk in the field at eventide. But if not, the Lord is in the town too, and will meet thee in thy chamber or in the crowded street. Let thy heart go forth to meet him.
the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it. Revelation chapter 21 verse 23. Yonder in the better world, the inhabitants are independent of all creature comforts. They have no need of raiment, their white robes never wear out. Neither shall they ever be defiled. They need no medicine to heal diseases, for the inhabitant shall not say, I am sick. They need no sleep to recruit their frames. They rest not day nor night, but unwearily praise him in his temple. They need no social relationship to minister comfort, and whatever happiness they may derive from association with their fellows is not essential to their bliss, for their Lord's society is enough for their largest desires. They need no teachers there. They doubtless commune with one another concerning the things of God, but they do not require this by way of instruction. They shall all be taught of the Lord. Ours are the arms at the king's gate, but they feast at the table itself. Here we lean upon the friendly arm, but there they lean upon their beloved and upon him alone. Here we must have the help of our companions, but there they find all they want in Christ Jesus. Here we look to the meat which perisheth, and to the raiment which decays before the moth, but there they find everything in God. We use the bucket to fetch us water from the well, but there they drink from the fountainhead, and put their lips down to the living water. Here the angels bring us blessings, but we shall want no messengers from heaven then. They shall need no Gabriels there to bring their love notes from God. For there they shall see him face to face. Oh, what a blessed time shall that be, when we shall have mounted above every second course and shall rest upon the bare arm of God. What a glorious hour when God and not his creatures, the Lord, and not his works, shall be our daily joy. Our souls shall then have attained the perfection of bliss. Men would never change 
And there could be no way that love would reign one day. But I cannot accept, much less believe we're doomed to fail. So I fight on till we special edition of Nightlight featuring readings from Charles Spurgeon's Morning and Evening Daily Devotionals. Remember, you can listen to all 730 readings if you log on to our Daily Devotional website at www.treasures365.com where you'll also find six other classic and modern Daily Devotionals. Praise the Lord. That's all for now. I'll be back with you soon for another edition of Nightlight. Bye for now. Nightlight.